Welcome to By Design Podcast, episode 93. I'm Danette Gora, your host, and my hope is that this will be a place where you can find encouragement for your home and your soul. On today's episode, we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit, and this week I'm talking about the Holy Spirit as the breath of God. Before we get started, I want to let you know that I have the kind of brain that likes to put things together. So I read a lot on the things that interest me in the Bible, like the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm really excited about right now. So I'm reading all these great things by other writers and and spiritual greats and, and really studying my Bible. And then somehow it's like I want to put it all together. And so my ideas on things and how I put things together, they aren't scripture. I'm no theologian. And as often as I can, I'm going to try to to quote the person who it came from, where I found it. And I'll have all kinds of links on my show notes at bydesignpodcast.com for each episode that you can go back and, and find the actual documents. This is just my take on it and how I see the Holy Spirit come to life in the Bible. And so I hope that you enjoy it and are inspired by it. And then go back to your own Bibles and do a little reading like the Bereans did in Acts 17. They didn't just listen to what Paul told them. They went back and checked it against the Bible to make sure it was true. So the Holy Spirit as breath. You might be wondering, why would we want to talk about the Holy Spirit as breath? What does breath mean? Why does it matter? You really want to hear things that are worth your time, right? But I promise you, this is... I've started studying the Holy Spirit and really looking into Him a few years ago. And just at the beginning of this year, I started leading a Bible study here in my home. And there are 10 or so women digging into the Holy Spirit and how he shows up in the Bible, what he's referred to, what his power is, what his role is. And I, I really have been stumbling over the breath, the breath of God. It, we started this study, like I mentioned, in January. And then a few months later, my church started going through the book of John and the Holy Spirit is all over in that book. So it's been pretty awesome for us women, you know, as we're learning and getting to know the Holy Spirit and his attributes and and what he really is about. Uh, We're seeing him because we know who he is. We're more familiar with him. It's sort of like that when you get a new car, right? Let's say, you know, you get a new SUV and then all of a sudden you're seeing those cars everywhere. You're sitting in the stoplight and you see five or six. You're going to a grocery store, a parking lot, and they show up all, all over. And it's because it's it's in the forefront of your mind and therefore your eyes catch it in the world. It's the same thing with what we're studying in the Bible. If, if we stick with it and we really pour over God's word, it's, it's going to come alive. So I, I wanted to clarify just a few things to make sure that you guys fully understand my heart in this. The Spirit's work at all times is to draw attention to Christ. That's one thing that, that I think you can't miss in the scriptures. In John 16, Jesus says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And we're studying the Holy Spirit. I said, why don't we learn about the Holy Spirit? Let's find out everything we can about him because we don't hear about him a lot. Not in detail. I mean, there's so much on the Father and the Son. And the Spirit's invisible, right? We, we forget that he's a person, but he is. I came across something on the Gospel Coalition site when I was doing some of my research. It's a quote by J.I. Packer on floodlighting. And um, this is what he says. The Holy Spirit's distinctive new covenant role then is to fulfill what we might call a floodlight ministry in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as far as this role was concerned, the Spirit was not yet while Jesus was on this earth. Only when the Father had glorified him could the Spirit's work of making men aware of Jesus' glory begin. I remember walking to a church one winter evening to preach on the words, He shall glorify me. 
seeing the building floodlit as I turned a corner, and realizing this was exactly the illustration my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are placed so that you do not see them. You are not, in fact, supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness, and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Or think of it this way, it is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder on Jesus, who stands facing us. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but it's always, look at him, see his glory, listen to him, hear his word, go to him and have life, get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. Isn't that beautiful? So yeah, J.I. Packer, he explained it so, so perfectly, and, and that is my heart for this series of podcast episodes. I want to broaden our horizons a bit, get us thinking about the Holy Spirit a little more. I want to dive into this and gather all this information and encourage you because as you learn more about the Spirit, He's going to point you to Christ. He's going to help you glorify your Lord. He will come alive inside of you. You will see Him. You will know Him. And within that, you will glorify the Lord. Well, another thing that I just want to touch on is this whole idea that this floodlight ministry that the Holy Spirit is throwing light on Jesus and not himself. It's a perfect picture of the humility that is within the Spirit of God. He is the power of God within us. Yes, he's the power of God. Everywhere throughout scripture when you see God giving life and all over in the Bible, you'll see the Holy Spirit show up and bring power. The thing about that is, is he is amazing. But he never says, hey, what about me over here, Holy Spirit? He said he points away from himself at Jesus. That's true humility. And if we are doing things in the spirit, we'll never be pointing at ourselves in the same way. So to review a bit, we also talked about how the Holy Spirit is a person, that he is an actual life and existence, right? The third person of the Godhead. He's invisible and like wind, so he can be felt or experienced, but he can't be seen. And I'm afraid that since we can't see him, we've kind of acquired a habit of disregarding the Holy Spirit, maybe as just a divine power that flows from God, but not actually as a person himself. That's something Spurgeon had said. So part of glorifying God is recognizing the Spirit as a person of the Trinity. There's also the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, how we're connected to other believers because that same Spirit lives in us all. All of these things I touched on in the first episode. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, like in Acts 4, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a boldness. There's a power that comes with Him. So why breath? How is the Holy Spirit the breath of God? The Hebrew word behind spirit is ruach, and it means air in motion. It's the same word for breath. So it means life. It means breath. Ruach. In the New Testament, Holy Spirit is broken down where holy is hagios. It means sacred or holy. And pneuma means spirit, wind, or breath. So that's Holy Spirit. It's agios pneuma in the New Testament. But pneuma and ruach, which are the words for spirit, pneuma is the Greek, like I said. Ruach is the Hebrew. They both mean the exact same thing. Spirit, wind, breath. And it's interesting to me that God used the same word in both the Greek and the Hebrew. It's like God in his providence he wanted us to relate the power and the mystery of the wind and even the breath to the work of the Holy Spirit. 
So the word ruach, it implies the power that is within the breath and wind. It's also connected to the name Yahweh, and we will talk about Yahweh a little bit later. In the Bible, we first hear of the Spirit of God in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now I read that verse kind of fast, but there's actually something there to see. And it says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters at the creation of the world. And we know that the words that describe him, his name, they mean breath and wind, like the power in the wind. And I think that we are told that he was there at creation because he played a role in it. And when you look at what's going on in creation, you see the Holy Spirit's there, he's hovering, and the Lord speaks and says, let there be light. He's speaking and he's breathing, and the Holy Spirit is breath. And I don't believe it's a mistake that as God breathes out the words, let there be light, the Holy Spirit is there because he is the power of God in creation. We also know from the book of John in the New Testament, John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's speaking of Jesus here. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there's light in Jesus. There's light and life, and he was there at the beginning. He's named as creator in the book of John. And the Holy Spirit was there too. We see that in Genesis 1. And God is one, right? It's one God, three persons. And, you know, as I read on in creation, you'll see, you'll hear, let us make mankind in our image. And the us is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all there. And we know that Jesus, the Word, was there. And we think of him as creator. But I don't want us to miss the Spirit. He's there too. And I think that when we realize these things about the Holy Spirit and his power and his hand in creation and the power that he's God's breath, we realize the power within us now as believers that we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. It's it's just beautiful. And one more little nugget about this before we move on is later in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is given to believers. Jesus gives it to them by breathing on them. So the Holy Spirit as the breath of God, when you get into this kind of analogy, you can now understand better just more of the attributes of God and the Holy Spirit. It's no, the Holy Spirit is no longer something spooky, but it's something very close to us, right? It's as close to us as our very breath. If you think about this whole idea of breathing, like you can't feel someone's breath unless you're very close to their body. So it might happen when you, when you lean in and you hear a whisper, right? If a relative is sick and you lean in and you hear their last words in a whisper through their breath, it could be even like a mother cradling a newborn child and whispering love and, and blessings over over their child. That's your breath, right? That's a very intimate moment. So to feel someone's breath, it's an intimate experience. Think about how close the disciples must have been to have Jesus and to feel his breath upon them. This whole encounter at Pentecost, it illustrates a very profound truth that our experience of the Holy Spirit is dependent on our nearness to Christ. And even more than that, it's very personal. So that kind of plays out for us in that that story, right? Jesus breathed on them. They believed in him. They were following him in their new life. The power within them came from his breath the breath of God. And I'm, I'm not sure in this physical work world that we take anything more for granted than we than our breath. And honestly, it's probably true of the Holy Spirit too. 
we take him for granted just as much. So it's interesting to me as I see the Holy Spirit as breath. That's how he's described. And Jesus breathes life. And I don't know, that life, that power to me is the Holy Spirit. I'm coming to see that in the things that I read. I'm trying to understand these things. And and I don't have all of the answers, but I'm a deep thinker. And I like to break things apart and look at them and find truth in it. So moving on, we read back in Genesis 1, around verse 20, that God made the sea animals. He let the water team with living creatures and, and birds fly above the sky. And then he said, let the land produce living creatures. And so how would the land produce living creatures? That's dust again. Animals, too, they're made of dust. And they have breath in them, just like we do. Psalm 104, verse 27 says, All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. So there it is again, God creating, God giving breath, taking breath away, and we find the Holy Spirit there in the midst of it. We also find the Holy Spirit in the creation of man. In Genesis 1.26, we read, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In Genesis 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Did you catch that? There wasn't life in in man until God breathed into his nostrils. We are literally lifeless without his breath. We know that the water was there when we were created. There wasn't a tree or shrub yet because it hadn't rained, but there was water that came up from the earth itself and formed rivers. And then God made man out of the dust of the ground. So, you know, we're like clods of mud, basically water and dust. It's the breath that God breathes into us that gives us life. It's this this beautiful picture of God sustaining us. He did it at the beginning, but I believe even breath now is a gift from him. So there's no life apart from God, you guys. No life apart from his breath for any of us. Animals too. Now this verse in Genesis about God breathing life, it sets a pattern really for the rest of the Bible where breath is often equated with life itself. This pattern, it's a constant inhale and exhale. The world does it. Nature does it. Animals. Us. We all do it. And the Holy Spirit, he is breath and he breathes and he is the pulse of our life. Breathing, it illustrates our human vulnerability and our complete dependence on God. So let's take a look at physical breath. I've read that each day we take about 26,000 breaths. That That's like 16 to 20 breaths per minute. That's a lot of air. We need a lot of air to live. Let's talk about what it's like when we breathe for a minute. Our chests fill with air and expand, and they bring life and health into our bodies. There's something that happens when we take a deep breath, isn't there? It feels good. It increases the supply of oxygen to our brain. It stimulates parts of our nervous system that actually promotes a state of calm. Um, so it, it affects our body. It brings health and peace to our minds and our bodies. And isn't that interesting? It really brings to life the verse that says that in him we live and move and have our being. Because it's his breath that comes within us and keeps us alive. Can you see that? That life is breath, it's spirit, and it it all happens within God's power. 
And the cool thing is, is that it's both the physical side of life and breath and then the spiritual side. So let me try to explain this. This is what I've been finding as I study nature and created things. There's always almost these two things at play. The physical side of things like our life, our breath, how it's all going on within our body physically, how things grow, all of it. It's a mirror to the spiritual truths and realities in our world. It sounds like a stretch, but I think that as we talk about the Holy Spirit as breath, I think you'll start to see it. I do want to say, though, that I don't believe that when I'm breathing in and out, that I'm breathing out God because the Holy Spirit is breath. That isn't what I'm saying here, and I want to make sure you don't miss that. I know the Holy Spirit sustains us. We're still breathing air, if that makes sense. But the Holy Spirit, the very state of His existence, is likened to breath. That's His form. He has no body. He's a spirit. He works in the spiritual things. He works in the physical breath too, though, we're seeing. He's the breath of God, and He's behind it all. What I'm trying to pull together here is that our need for our breath and what breath does for our body, it brings light to the power of God's Spirit, the life that He gave us, our need to breathe Him in to stay spiritually alive. And there's a rhythm to this life, this breathing, this in and out. It's part of our days. We don't even see it, but we expect it. We rely on it. It's a constant inhale and exhale over and over. It's this fluid, rhythmic necessity. It's the in and out that's a forever part of who we are. So we wake up and we breathe in the morning. And as the sun sets, we exhale and we let it all go. It's in and out until our days end. Oxygen, this breathing in and out, it's the most essential natural resource required by ourselves. We can go up to 40 days without food and we can go without water for three days. Yet we can die after just a few minutes of not breathing. And that pers- into perspective, our need for the Holy Spirit as believers, we need Him as much as we need our next breath. And in another light, it shows us how fragile, how really fragile life is. Again, we think we have it all figured out, that we're so capable, that our life is our own. But what are we? We're dust that breathes what? Air? In reality, we're so dependent on God that our next breath is only His to give us. Breathing, it really illustrates this human vulnerability that we have because it's we are completely dependent on God, whether we realize it or not. And our breath, it's so easy to take away. It's as simple as covering your nose. Try covering your mouth for a minute. Take your hand, cover your mouth, and plug your nose. How long can you last without taking a simple breath? We starve for air. It's air hunger, right? We're desperate for it if we can't have it. You can tell that just by covering your own nose. I think that even in his design of us, he was showing us that, like how much we have to rely on him, even for our breath. But it is God who is sustaining us. It's God who allows life and breath and everything else. I'm sure there's some of you mamas out there that can relate to this. I remember when my first child was born, I was so afraid of SIDS and, you know, they really put the fear of God into you on that, (laughs) how your babies are put to sleep. And I would sit there at night next to her crib and watch her breathe. Watch her chest. Check to make sure the little breaths were coming in and out of her mouth. I remember in those moments just thinking to myself, how does her body know to breathe? How is it doing it? I was so afraid that I was going to lose her somehow, that a pillow would fall on her face and that she just wouldn't be able to take that breath. You know, we look at the little babies and we see their vulnerability and we see it there. They are fragile. But we forget that as adults, life is just as fragile. It can be taken away from us as easy as it be taken away from them. I saw this firsthand a few years ago, about five years ago now. 
When my husband Derek got sick and he was put on life support, I'll never forget seeing his chest go up and down mechanically. He was unconscious in a coma, like a medically induced coma. It's that rhythm to life that is so natural, that flows within us, that air, that breath. When you see a machine doing that, you realize how medically we're smart people, but we cannot even begin to replicate what God has created, what he makes so natural. It's that whole forced air, the forced life thing when someone's on life support. When it's forced into our bodies, it's not natural. There is this rhythm, this breath, this air in motion that's life. And it's a part of the gift of the Holy Spirit to us and how he's at work. And, you know, my husband was still alive when he was in that coma. A machine was pushing the breath into his lungs. And that's part of what kept him alive. God was the real part. It just, it really affected me seeing the tubes and our need for air. And, and, you know, we had never been in a situation where any of us had a hard time getting our breath where it was life and death. To watch it play out in front of you, it'll definitely get your attention and make you think on breath. And I remember when they took those tubes, you know, weeks later when he woke up and they took the tubes out, he was breathing air on his own and trying to. And I couldn't help but think that even though he wasn't on life support, a machine that was supporting his life, he was still on life support from God because every breath is from him. The truth is that all of us are on life support every minute of every day. Moving on, inhale, it's a verb. It means to draw deep into your lungs, to draw in and breathe. It's the passage of air through us, the breath of God flowing in and out. It's manifest. It's evidence of life, unmistakable. It's also our voice, our speech. We need air to communicate and make sounds. I think all of us have heard the phrase, when we breathe our last. It's a—it's Shakespeare, actually. It's a poetic euphemism. I can't remember. It was like Henry V or something. It was in there. But it's also before Shakespeare and before that breathe our last statement was out there. It was biblical. In Genesis 25, 8, so Abraham breathed his last and died in a fine old age, old and satisfied. And in Mark fifteen thirty seven, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. We also read in John nineteen thirty, which is John's version of the same event. When he, meaning Jesus, had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And the word there for spirit is that same word, pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. And by comparing these two scriptures and looking at the word in Mark, when Jesus breathed his last, he died. And then here in John, when it says that he gave up his spirit, it's also saying that he gave up his breath because spirit there is pneuma. It's the same word for breath. It's just interesting because it's connecting for us when Jesus breathes his last, he's giving up his spirit. And so breath is spirit. Isn't that interesting? And what about our first breaths? As the cord of life is cut... We're born, we breathe that first breath of air, and that cry, that's the sound that we wait for. It's our first breath of life. Our documented life starts in this world when we take our first breath, when we have air and breath. And I know this is a debate, right, with abortion. When is the baby alive? I won't go into that, but when you just look at the specifics of when a baby is born, we breathe our first as the cord of life that fed us in the womb is severed. That's when we take our first breath. And even in the womb, before air is present to breathe in, you read that baby's mimic breathing. There's this rhythmic pulse that the baby makes, and there's no air. 
they're practicing breathing. That's what you'll find. And if you do a little research and maybe it's working the muscles or they're breathing in the amniotic fluid in and out, not because they need it in their lungs, but because it's practice. So when you think about the Virgin Mary, Jesus's mother, when she became pregnant, do you remember how that happened? The Holy Spirit came upon her. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He breathes life. That's crazy. Because some of us, when we think about the Virgin Mary's Immaculate Conception, with the Holy Spirit being involved, we're a little freaked out and grossed out because we think it's sexual. Because that's how we conceive, right? Seed plus egg equals human being. But we forget who the life breather is. God. God's breathing his spirit. He did it once into dust at the beginning. So do we think he could not do it again in the womb? We don't think it's sexual because it's God breathing into Adam, right? A man. But it's a little weird when a, when a, when a woman becomes with child by the Holy Spirit. But it's his breath in there could just see the Holy Spirit breathing on that baby, the rhythmic pulse of God in that baby, God's breath. I always think about pregnant women, how the Holy Spirit is upon them. Because we know that when you read the Psalms and the the Psalm that says that he's the very one who knits us together in the womb, right? God's presence of life and breath are resting within us and weaving the unborn to life. God holds it all, doesn't he? He really holds it all. I want to just read some Bible verses to get us going here. Psalm 150, verse 6, it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In Ezekiel 37, it's talking about prophecy here. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. Can you see the breath and the breathing? John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 20, 22, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon said this, What is it that stirs up that great deep of air and bids it to howl in the hurricane and then constrains it to subside into the calm? The philosopher may scheme some conjecture to prove that the trade winds blow at certain intervals because of the sun crossing the equator at those periods, and that there must necessarily be a current of air going towards the equator because of the low pressure created. But he cannot tell you why the weathercock on the church steeple turned this morning from southwest to due east. He cannot tell me why it is that the sailor finds that his sails are at one time filled with wind and then in a few minutes they fall loosely down so that he must steer up on another track if he wishes to make headway. The various motions of air remain a mystery to all except the infinite Jehovah. My brethren, the similar mystery is observed in the work of the Spirit of God. His person and work are not to be comprehended by the mind of man. He may be here tonight, but you cannot see him. He speaks to one heart, but others cannot hear his voice. He is not recognizable by the unrefined senses of the unregenerate. The spiritual man discerns him, feels him, hears him, and delights in him, but neither wit nor learning can lead a man into the secret. The believer is often bowed down with the weight of the Spirit's glory, or lifted up on the wings of his majesty, but even he does not know how these feelings are caused in him. The fire of holy life is at times gently fanned with the soft breath of divine comfort, or the deep sea of spiritual existence stirred with the mighty blast of the Spirit's rebuke. But still, it is always a mystery how the eternal God comes into contact with the finite mind of his creature. 
man feeling all heaven meanwhile and yet dwelling in a human body as a temple occupying all space and yet operating upon the will the judgment the mind of the poor insignificant creature called man we may inquire but who can answer us we may search but who shall lead us into the hidden things of the most high he brooded over chaos and produced order but who shall tell us how we did it he overshadowed the virgin and prepared a body for the son of god but who shall dare to pry into the secret his is the anointing sealing comforting and sanctifying of the saints but how does he do all these things he makes intercession for us according to the will of god he indwells us and leads us into all truth but who among us can explain to his companion the order of the divine working though veiled from the human eye like the glory which shone between the cherubim we believe in the holy spirit and therefore see him but if our faith needed sight to sustain it we would never believe it at all spurgeon i'm not sure it can be put any better than that but i do have one last thing i want to leave with you guys because i think it perfectly summarizes the point i've been trying to make what air is for the body the holy spirit is for the soul now, I could have just read this at the beginning and not even had a podcast episode, but I think it means more when we look at the Bible, look at the actual words and the context and see what God really meant. It, and not only that, but the Bible is alive. The Holy Spirit is alive and he's in God's word. And it's better than any human voice or quote or description that we can read about God's word. It's the only thing that can cut through our stony hearts and really change us and mold us to be like Christ. Believe it or not, I even have another episode or two about breath that I'm going to squeeze in here. Uh, I might condense it all into one, but there's even more. And I hope you really start seeing the Holy Spirit as God's breath, that he's at work all around you. Thanks so much for listening.